You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. If we yield to the Spirit, we experience true fellowship and communion with God, a consciousness of God. And isn't that one of the most precious of experiences of being born again? That we know that God is with us, that His hand is upon our lives, you know, that we can always appeal to Him in whatever situation we find ourselves uh, to be in. And so it's just a wonderful thing. So we experience, as we yield ourselves to the Spirit, walk in the Spirit, we experience true fellowship and communion with God. The flesh, fueled by the enemy, is always at war with your spirit, and it's appealing and desirous and difficult to fight. But if you do seek to go to battle against the sinful flesh, empowered by the Holy Spirit in you, you will be amazed at the transformation that happens in your life. Today, Pastor Mike will encourage you to yield to the Spirit and fight against the flesh daily. When you live this way, you'll be filled with a deeper joy, a greater peace, and more love for God and others. Now, here's Pastor Mike in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 15 as he continues his message, Destroy Amalek. So we have to be completely geared up. We need to make sure that we have the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, our feet shod with the gospel of peace. If there's any area that we're not taking care of, that's where the flesh is going to attack us. So we need to put on the whole armor of God. We need to gird ourselves with every resource that God has made available to us. And if there's anything that you know we haven't protected, you can be sure that the flesh will attack us at that place. Now, we know that man and women are a trichotomy, what we refer to as a trichotomy. That is body, soul, and spirit. But the real you, the real me, is spirit. And that is eternal. The body is just a tent that I am temporarily dwelling in. The soul of mankind refers to that consciousness of man or the intellect of man. But the real you and me, that which will live forever, you know, after we leave this world, after we depart from this tabernacle of ours, this tent, this body of ours, is spirit. And that is eternal. And God's intention is that we be ruled by the spirit. Because when the spirit reigns, think about this now, that Uh, indicates that man is in fellowship with God. 
and we have the mind of the Spirit. Now, I want you to think about that. If you've been born again of the Spirit of God, what a radical transformation has taken place within our lives. And the first thing that we become keenly aware of is this new fellowship that we have with God. And we have the mind of the Spirit. That is, we are interested in spiritual things. Now, that's absent in the person who hasn't been born again of the Spirit of God, right? Because the Bible tells us the natural man cannot discern the things of the Spirit of God, neither can he know them. So therefore, a person who's not born again of the Spirit of God is a dichotomy, only body and soul. He's not experiencing that third dimension, the most important dimension in our life's experience, and that is of the Spirit. And so when the body appetites control, you have the mind of the flesh. And therefore, you are living in an abnormal way. And I refer to it as an abnormal way because God never intended us to live that way. This is not the way that God intended man to live. But this is what happens when man twists the natural uses for what God created him and perverts them to other functions. And listen, when you give yourselves over to your body appetites, you become its victim and are ultimately brought into bondage. And so you shouldn't be ruled by your body, but rather by the Spirit of God. Now we'll talk about that whole process in just a moment. But let me give you an example of this. The sex drive. And, I, and it's not my intention to embarrass anybody here, but let's, let's use that because this is a very powerful uh, drive within each and every one of us. The sex drive. So here's the example. God created sex. It's not a dirty thing. In fact, it's a beautiful drive of the body. And God had created the sex drive for the perpetuation of the human race. It is also a way to communicate to our spouses, notice I said spouses, only our spouses, our deepest love and emotion. If we didn't have the sex drive, there wouldn't have been a Cain or an Abel, which was the first children of the first parents, Adam and Eve. And so our sex drive is something that has been ordained by God as a function of the human body. It is the beginning of the miracle of new life. But here's the problem. People start messing around, changing the natural use of sex, perverting its natural use. And therefore, they've gotten into all kinds of weird practices. But then those same people get trapped and their sex drive begins to rule them. You know, so many people today, that's what they live for. That's what they're, they're all wrapped up in. That's what, you know, just getting from one week to another and over the weekend and, you know, falling into bed with someone. I mean, that's, you know, that's their ultimate desire. But God never intended for you to be ruled by your sex drive. You know, isn't it interesting that today we recognize how a person can become addicted to sexual desire just as well as drugs or alcohol. Isn't that true? So we know that to be true. So anyway, God said there would be war with Amalek or the Amalekites in every generation. And as long as we live in these bodies of ours, there is that war going on between the flesh and the spirit. And in this battle, it is for supremacy. What is going to rule in your life? 
And so we have to decide whether or not we are going to yield to the Spirit or whether or not we are going to yield to the flesh. But once again, here's what is at stake. If we yield to the Spirit, we experience true fellowship and communion with God, a consciousness of God. And isn't that one of the most precious of experiences of being born again? That we know that God is with us, that his hand is upon our lives, you know, that we can always appeal to him in whatever situation we find ourselves uh, to be in. And so it's just a wonderful thing. So we experience, as we yield ourselves to the Spirit, walk in the Spirit, we experience true fellowship and communion with God, a consciousness of God, and joy, love, peace with God. But then on the other hand, if we yield to the flesh, we become a slave to our flesh. We become alienated from God because we're living in an unnatural state. And so anyway, with Amalek being a type of the flesh, we then can understand why God ordered its obliteration, its entire extermination. Now, let's go back to our text. Let's jump back into 1 Samuel chapter 15. Saul went out to the battle as he was instructed by Samuel. And now let's pick up in chapter 15 and verses 7 through 9, and let's find out what happened. Verse 7. And so Saul attacked the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur, which is east of Egypt. He also took Agag, who was the king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But notice here, verse 9, but Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, contrary to what God had commanded them to do, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good, and were unwilling to utterly destroy them. But everything despised and worthless, that they were utterly uh, destroyed. Okay, so what do we have here? Well, Saul took Agag, a hostage. Why did he do that? Contrary to God's commandment, remember he was supposed to kill each and every one of the Amalekites. So why did he spare Agag and hold him as a hostage? Well, he was probably looking for a ransom here. And notice he also took the best of the flocks and the herds. So what's going on here? Well, he disobeyed the commandment of God that was given to him by a Samuel. Now, let's pick up in this story. In verse 13, when finally Samuel arrives upon the scene, Saul begins to give him a snow job, if you will. Let's pick up now in verse 13. Then Samuel went to Saul, and Saul said to him, and notice here, he said, Bless, and here's the snow job, Blessed are you of the Lord. And it was, you know, it was a jubilant time that was going on here. Remember, uh, Saul had just been victorious in this battle. The feeling here is a very jubilant one because of the victory that they had just won. And so anyway, here's the snow job. Blessed are you of the Lord, referring to uh, Samuel. And notice the lie here. He says, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. But notice the, the way that Samuel responds here. 
But Samuel said, what then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I uh, hear? And Saul said, they have brought them, so here's his explanation, they have brought them from the Amalekites for the people, and they spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. So in other words, he's trying to you know, suggest that, hey, listen, I did what I did. Yes, I disobeyed. I didn't completely uh, obliterate them, but my intentions were good. I saved the best of the flocks and the herds of the Amalekites so that we can offer them up as a sacrifice unto the Lord, which was a half-truth. Listen, go back to that phrase, the rest we have utterly destroyed. There's something very important about this. This was not true. There were still Amalekites left alive besides Agag the king. There were still Amalekites left alive. In fact, later on, as we continue to move through our studies in 1st and 2nd Samuel, David later on had to deal with the Amalekites. 1st Samuel chapter 27 and verse 8, chapter 30 and verse 1, and then in 2nd Samuel chapter 8 and verse 12. And then also, throw this into the mix, Haman, you remember who Haman was? Haman was that evil man who tried to wipe out all of the Jewish people in the days of Esther. He was a descendant of Agag the king. And we have the reference to that in the book of Esther in chapter 3 and verse 1. But most ironic of all, when Saul was killed on the field of battle later on, an Amalekite claimed to deliver the first thrust of the sword that killed King Saul. And the reference to that is recorded first in 2 Samuel in chapter 1 in verses 8 through 10. So what do we take away from this? Well, listen, when we don't obey God completely, the leftover portion will surely come back and trouble us, if not kill us. It'll wipe you out. And that's exactly why we cannot make peace with the flesh. You see that? It'll come back to get you. It'll come back to bite you. It'll come back to destroy your walk and your relationship with God. And so anyway, let's pick up now in verses 22 and 23. You know, after Saul giving Samuel this snow job and sharing these half-truths, how did Samuel respond? Well, verses 22 and 23. Let's go back to chapter 15 now. Notice what Samuel said. Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. Listen, God doesn't want your excuses. You know, offering excuses why you're not completely obeying his commandments. God just, you know, blows those kinds of excuses off. He goes right to the heart of the matter. Notice what he says in verse 23. He puts rebellion and disobedience into the same category as witchcraft. He says, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being a king over Israel. So God is more concerned about our 
hearts. And then in verses 27 and 28, let's jump further ahead now. Verses 27 and 28, after this announcement that had now been pronounced by Samuel to Saul, verses 27 and 28, and as Samuel turned around to go away, okay, so he's just, he's fed up now with Saul completely, and he's just, you know, he's not going to buy into any of the excuses, and now he's just leaving him. He had already pronounced that God had repented of even actually anointing him as king over Israel, and now he's moving away from Saul, and as he does, we are told Samuel turned around to go away, and Saul sees the edge of his robe, and it tore. And so Saul here is desperate, he fell to his knees, and in one final grasp grabs hold of Samuel's robe, and it rips, it tears in two. And then we are told, and Samuel said to him, the Lord, it's sort of like an object lesson here, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And by the way, who was that neighbor? Of course, it was David. Well, anyway, God says concerning our flesh, it's got to be put to death. Now, sometimes we think that this command is a bit too harsh. In our own walk, in our relationship with the Lord. Come on, God, you really want 100% of us? I mean, can you really expect us to be completely obedient to your word? Yeah, you know what? Yes, God expects that of us. But sometimes we get into that funk of thinking that, you know, this command is a bit too harsh. I mean, after all, I'm not really all that bad. Surely there's some things worth salvaging about me. Well, what does the Bible tell us about this? In the book of Romans, in chapter 6, in verse 6, there we are told that we are to mortify the flesh. That is, we are to put it to death. In the book of Galatians, in chapter 5, in verse 24, there we read, crucify the flesh with its affections and lusts. Later on in the book of Romans, in chapter 13, in verse 14, Paul tells us there, not to make any provision for the flesh, to fulfill the lusts thereof. And so listen, the consequences of not doing that will be the flesh coming back to destroy you, to destroy your walk and your relationship with the Lord. And thus, it is so important to bring the life of the flesh to the cross and not to live after the flesh. Remember the instruction of Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16. If we walk in the Spirit, we shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Now, I want to take some time out to just briefly discuss what does it mean to walk in the Spirit? Well, basically, it just means to appeal to the Spirit, to stay in the Word. That's one of the most powerful ways of yielding ourselves to the work of the Spirit within the life, our lives. Because the Spirit works most powerfully, I believe, through the Scripture. And I'm trusting and hoping that that's exactly what's going on here in this place. You know, as the word of God goes forward, God reasoning with us, counseling us, encouraging us, that we'll understand the blessings that are derived from obeying the Lord and the consequences of, of not. You know, in the book of Isaiah, in chapter 59, in verse 19, there we are told, 
when the enemy comes in like a flood, and often it does, it comes in the form of a temptation or flesh crying out for satisfaction or whatever, when the enemy comes in like a flood, there we are told the Spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against it. What is that standard that God raises up when the enemy comes in like a flood? It's always the Word of God. All of a sudden, we'll be reminded of a verse of Scripture, a text of Scripture, that addresses that particular situation that we find ourselves in, a present temptation. So basically, what it means to walk in the Spirit is to appeal to the Spirit, yield to the Spirit of God for His strength, His capacities, His abilities, but more than anything else, I think most powerfully, He works through the study and the teaching of the Word of God. And so, listen, don't look to reform your flesh, clean it up, and offer it to God, because simply, God is not interested. We need to utterly destroy it. I cannot give place to the flesh, to live after the desires and the lusts of the flesh. Why? Because it will take over and control you, and ultimately it will bring you into slavery. I must reckon the flesh dead. I need to walk in the Spirit, living as God intended me to live, in fellowship with Him. Maybe there is some, this is just between you and the the Lord, and uh, you know what's going on in your life. God knows what's going on in your life, what you've allowed to go on in your life. Maybe you have been battling the flesh. Maybe you have been constantly defeated by the flesh, even up until this present time. Well, again, just begin to walk in the Spirit. Make that appeal unto the Spirit. Get back into the Word of God. Renew your walk in your relationship with the Lord. Go back to the Christian ABCs. Renew that walk in your relationship with Him. Appeal to Him. Yield to Him. And and you'll find those new capacities available uh, for you. But remember what Jesus said. He said, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And thus, we need to be born again. And how does that take place? By simply inviting Christ to come into our lives and invite Him to become the Lord and Savior of our lives. It all begins with acknowledging Him as your Lord and Savior, your need for a Lord and Savior. It begins with your asking Him to forgive you of your sin and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. And then He will begin to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. And guess what? you'll kick into that third dimension. No longer you will be a dichotomy, just body and soul. You'll now be body, soul, and foremost, spirit. So listen, if you've never made that decision for Christ, I encourage you, I plead with you, make that choice and decision for Him. There's too much at stake. In my Father's house There's a place for me in my Father's house, where I long to be, oh my We're so glad you joined us today on In My Father's House for our continuing verse-by-verse study through the book of 1 Samuel. If you'd like to hear more messages from Pastor Mike, please visit our website at harvestnyc.org. You can listen online just go to the resources tab. Otherwise, you can find them on oneplace.com 
and search for Harvest Christian Fellowship or Pastor Mike Venizio. Viewing our recent services can be an option as well through Vimeo. We also invite you to subscribe to our podcast. Just search your favorite platform for In My Father's House. If you're in Midtown Manhattan and looking for a church home, come visit us here at Harvest Christian Fellowship. We meet every week for worship, Bible study, and fellowship. It's easy to get here. You can reserve your seat and get directions at our website. If you can't make it in person, that's okay. Join us on the live stream to participate in our services virtually. Just follow the link at harvestnyc.org. If you happen to have any questions for us, give us a call at 212-247-1877. That number again is 212-247-1877. Would you like to connect with us on social media? You can find us on Facebook and Instagram. Just follow the links on our website. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. We're so glad you took the time to listen in today. And we hope you'll join us again next time on In My Father's House.